Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. And now, and now prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, now is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast with host A. Trunk. What's up, everybody? It's Eddie Trunk, and welcome to another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday on all your favorite major podcast platforms. Be sure to subscribe so you do not miss a newsmaking interview with the biggest names in rock and metal. Thank you for listening and thank you for subscribing. And be sure to follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook page. And as I tell you guys every week, all the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast originated on my Sirius XM radio show, which is Trunk Nation and heard live Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern time on Faction Talk. That's Sirius XM channel 103. Nightly re-airs at midnight Eastern on 103. Full shows, interviews, and more anytime you want on the SiriusXM app. Just go there, punch in Trunk Nation, and everything will come up. If you only listen to this podcast once a week and you don't join me every day on SiriusXM, you are only getting a tiny, tiny fraction of what I do on the radio on a daily basis. So I hope you come on board and join me for the daily show on SiriusXM if you aren't already. Don't forget, there's a sixth live show on SiriusXM. That's Mondays, 5 to 8 Eastern on Hair Nation, Terrestrial Radio Show, and my new YouTube show live on most of the time, Wednesdays at 7 Eastern called That Rocks with Don Jameson and Jim Florentine. Be sure to check it out. All episodes now archived on YouTube, totally free. Just punch in That Rocks and be sure to subscribe there as well. At Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook page for info and updates on all fronts. Our interview for you this week is with really one of the most celebrated guitar players out there today. And that is Nuno Betancourt of Extreme. Extreme have just announced, or I should say just released, their sixth album and their first in 15 years called Six. And it has really gotten the whole guitar community talking because of the incredible playing of Nuno Betancourt, who everybody knows has always been an incredible player, but it's just so great to hear him still at his top uh, at the top of his game and extreme making new music. 
like I said, for the first time in 15 years and finally releasing it, getting great response around the world as well. And uh, this interview I did with Nuno was a couple weeks ago on my Sirius XM radio show. We went for an hour straight. We talk about the new album, of course. We talk about his recent knee injury. We talk about Eddie Van visiting him just before he recorded one of his iconic solos and a whole lot more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. And, you know, a quick thing, because so much is made of Nuno's guitar playing, which is stellar. But the entire band, Extreme, are phenomenal people and players. And, you know, mad props to them because they play totally live. They put so much into their vocals. Gary Sharon and Nuno sing so much together on this new record. Pat Badger, also great singer, uh, great locked in on bass. Kevin Figueredo, killing on drums. So although Nuno is always going to get the lion's share of the attention... All four of these guys just really deliver both on this new record and live as well. And we talk a little bit about that, I believe, as well with Nuno. So without further ado, this week's interview on the Eddie Trunk podcast for about an hour straight with Nuno Betancourt. Enjoy. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie, and fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen, remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, 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 of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Standing by to talk to Nuno Betancourt of Extreme, who should join us any second. Talking about the brand new Extreme album, Six, 15 years in the making. Uh, and that album finally came out on Friday. And we got him right now. By the way, Nuno will also, along with Gary Sharon, be on the YouTube show that I'm now doing with my old That Metal Show partners, Don and Jim. That'll be live at 7 Eastern, free worldwide on YouTube tonight. So you can check that out and uh, see us doing our thing there. But he joins us live right now here on Trunk Nation on the radio on Sirius XM. Nuno, how are you, man? It's good, man. It's like it's like National Eddie Trunk Day for Extreme. What's happening? <laughs> I probably, it's actually more like national extreme day for the Eddie trunk shows. 
There you go. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. How you feeling, man? Well, I'm. Uh, my leg is up. It's elevated. I did surgery yesterday. Um, I um, I was going to opt out and do any sort of surgery, but uh, I had too many things going on. After I did the Brazil show, I had to shoot up with cortisone, which I didn't want to do, and I was still hurting the day after. So I'm at least I at least had went in yesterday to UCLA and. They uh, they went in and at least fixed my uh, meniscus, you know, the cartilage and stuff. The ACL I can't do because it canceled the tour, but I know this will at least get me through the tour because that's what's really bothering me. But other than that, man, life is great. <laughs> are you are you uh, mobile now? I mean, uh, when is the first tour date? August second, first first or second, something like that. So they feel like you'll be able to get through that kind of okay, and then you'll get the other work done after you're done with the heavy touring? Yeah, because the ACL itself is like you kind of need it and don't need it, and it's not painful unless it just holds your knee from popping out. But that I can deal with the brace. What was happening is the pads that you actually put all your weight on, that those were torn, and every time I was beating them up, even though I, I did therapy for three weeks preparing for Brazil and stuff like that, and I always had no pain. And boom, the second I got there, it was just like, uh-oh. So I don't want that to happen on tour. So this is only six to eight-week recovery, the this, the one that I did. And it's basically the tour is in seven weeks. So I, I should be fine. You, uh, you of course, went and, and played in Brazil recently. How did you do with that travel and those shows? Uh, you were just dealing with being shot up. Is that? I mean, were you? Did you just brace it? I mean, how'd you deal with that? Because you know, I I, I uh, introed you, of course, that show you tried to do on the cruise right after you did it, and obviously that was a rough one for you. I'm I'm assuming you did better in Brazil in in terms of managing it. Yeah, I I think with uh, Monster Rock, I think you saw me in tears back there, crying like a baby yeah. at one point. But uh, in Brazil, it wasn't the case because I had those three weeks. I worked with the physical therapist and he got me in pretty good shape to go to Brazil but something believe it or not after I did steps I did all this leg work I was feeling really good I had a new brace that they fitted and then I got to LAX and something happened at LAX it was bizarre I just did this weird turn and boom something else it felt a little slight slight little uh aggravation I didn't want to not go to Brazil so I flew for I mean we traveled for 20 something hours and we get there, and I was hoping by the time I got there, that little pain was going to go away, and it got worse. That's why I had to shoot up with the cortisones just to get through the Brazil show. So I said, I don't want to do that anymore. So I just went in and had the surgery, bit the bullet, and went in yesterday. Man, well, get well, man. I mean, I know you're dealing with a lot, and I know you toughed it out on the cruise. It's crazy when I think about it. I was telling the audience, because I was actually doing this radio show from the ship, and I was waiting for you to come do radio, and your manager, my, you know, our buddy Robbie came up to me and he goes, um, Nuno's finishing up a basketball game. He's running about 10 minutes behind. And I said, okay, yeah, that's cool. Tell him to come down when he's finished with the game. And then 10 minutes later, Rob comes back to me and he gives me a note and he goes, he ain't going to make it. He just blew out his knee. I'm like, no fucking way. So, I mean, it was just like, yeah. you know, I, it was crazy because I'm like, you, literally, I was waiting for you to come do this show. And then and you were in the middle of the game. And then I knew people were there and they said, you just went down and, for people that don't know, that's where you injured it, playing basketball on the Monsters of Rock Cruise. Yeah, you don't know. I don't think a day goes by where I don't fantasize about replaying the, the scene that I wanted to happen in my head, which I wasn't playing basketball that day. I had told him before that I'm not playing. Gary said he's not playing. 
And then for some reason on that morning, you know, we had you to go do, all I want to do is like, Gary comes by the room and he's like, he's all dressed to go play going down. I'm like, what? Cause yeah, man, just 10 minutes. You know, I had just had Joel in my room rehearsing for the Gabriella thing. He's like, yeah, they'll have a uniform. And, and I felt this weird thing of like, I don't want to play. I just don't want to play. And I got Eddie Trunk to go talk to. And I just have this fantasy of just saying this, two, this one word, no, just no. And then I walked down to do the interview with you and then life is good. And I don't have to deal with the last month of pain and, and ripping things and going to, you know, it's just amazing these stupid little decisions you make because in my mind, I'm thinking, Hey idiot, you just, you got a new album out. You, you know, it's doing fairly well with the videos. Everybody's talking about your solos and stuff and it's all, all good. And I also have a show tomorrow as well. You know, I'm out there working and then I have M3. You don't go play that. You just don't do it. You just don't do it. It's, 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 it's something that, you know, I'm lucky actually it is my knee. I mean, imagine if I busted my finger or because the first play I did, somebody hacked at my hand really hard and that could have been my finger. And then there's no tour to do anything. And sometimes as a guitar player, maybe you don't recover from a broken finger or something. Who knows, you know? So it was really stupid. I didn't need to be playing. I didn't want to play. I actually was thinking like, it's kind of a dumb idea on, a, on, on an actual having a celebrity game with all the artists that are playing and they all have shows. And it's like, let's put them all together and see if they can all get hurt while they're playing shows. So no offense, everybody can do it, but I won't be doing that again. It was, it was just a dumb move. Yeah. Well, listen, man, uh, you know, shit happens, and obviously it could happen in some other way, too. You never really fully know, but I'm glad you're hanging in there and toughing it out and, uh, you know, moving on to talking about the record, which, of course, came out on Friday, Extreme 6. And congratulations, man. I mean, you got to be just thrilled with what's happening here. I know it's been a long time coming, 15 years, but uh, the response from the fans, the the response to you and your playing on multiple guitar. I got Guitar World right here with you on the cover, chart positions all over the world in the top 10, top five, in some cases, number one. I mean, this has got to feel amazing to see this response to your new music. Listen, Amazing is a word you use when you're on tour and you're 25 and it's, you know, one of your albums, but 15 years later at the age of 56, turning 57 in a couple of months, it's insane. It's shocking. It's exciting. It's amazing. It's shocking. It's, it's surreal. It's surreal. It feels like, I don't even know how to explain it sometimes. I mean, even with Guitar World, I, I, I hadn't been on, I mean, I've done some covers through the years here and there, but I haven't done Guitar World since 93. 30 years ago. And then not only to be on nine covers this month, it was like, what? And a lot of it was based on the excitement of just Rise Alone, which is really bizarre. Right. But they all got sent the album. And I'm just humbled. I'm, I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm just, you know, it's, it's really strange. But, you know, the guitar world that you're holding right there, it's one thing to be asked to be on a cover of a magazine even when you're a kid. And then it's another thing to get on guitar world, which is something you grew up, you know, watching your kids on. But the thing that was thrilling is, is when they sent me the article, it was 32 pages, 32 pages. I'm like, what? Like, that, I didn't understand it. There was all these things, and there was breakdowns of the guitar, breakdowns, and there was Brian May and Steve Vai and, and Luke Uther and Morello, and then they're, like, talking about – it's dude, I, I don't even know how to I, – I know most of the time I'm – you know, I'm always a bit of a humble person, but I'm actually completely honest with you. And I, I don't remember ever seeing anything in any guitar magazine that one guitar player 
took for 32 pages and I, I'm, I'm just dumbfounded and I'm so blessed and so excited. And, and, but, but look, the, the main thing is the album, like you said, guitar playing is great, but I just can't believe the reaction of the album and I'm super excited. You know? Well, yeah, and I want to talk to you about some specifics about the record because the nice thing about doing this now versus if we would have done it a few weeks ago is I've had a chance to listen to the whole record. Of course, you led with yep. four singles and videos before the, the album actually came out. But there's and there's a few things I want to talk to you about that. But going back to where it all started with the single and video for Rise, and you mentioned so much of it, so much came off of just that solo in that song alone, which touched off this whole um, incredible response. When you first recorded that solo in Rise, and you guys first put that song together, as a guitarist, do you know like what you did? as a solo in that song, do you have any feeling um, internally yourself that what you just did was special to the degree that it was going to touch off that kind of conversation? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's one of those things, but the truth is no, because you can never, it's like songs or anything else that you do. There's only one criteria that you follow and that's you, you, you go for blood in everything you do. You know what I mean? That, you know, a lot of people ask about why 15 years. It's like, look, we had an album done 2012, 2016, 2017. It's just like, but you, you never want to put anything out of this. We don't never want to put anything out that isn't special to us. And it doesn't mean everybody's going to love it. People might even hate it. But, it, you know, the success starts with doing the album, writing these songs. And then once you pluck out the 30 or so songs, you go through them and you end up with your 12. It's that moment, you mix it, you go to mastering, and that's when you're the most proud. That, to me, is the success of the album. The rest is just a bonus. The rest is frosting, what the fans will think, what you will think, what the press will think. We can, we, we can only be, you know, to me, if it did well and if Rise didn't even get the response it did, it would be equally as special to me, the fact that it made it on the album. Cause that's how songs make it on our albums. They don't make, we don't put our favorites on. We don't put the ones we love. It's the ones that we can't take off the album. Each slot, like even in the rise slot, opening slot, there'll be four songs fighting for that position. And we always take off the ones that we know we can do without, even though we love them, which ones can we not do without? So of course rise and every guitar solo I'm doing, it's, it's the song dictates the solo. A lot of times people will think that, you know, you go in and it's like an Olympics. It's like, okay, as a guitarist, here it comes. Here's your turn. Go. And you have two choices as a guitar player when you're going to take a solo on a song. You're either going to take everything you've learned and you're going to try to impress everybody like an Olympic so you can get a 10 held up every time technically and, 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 and the jaw-dropping stuff, you know. That to me is easy. You know how many guitar players in our generation <laughs> that do jaw-dropping technical, you know, Stuff. And even today on, on Instagram, all these amazing players that are doing it, who cares? The thing that the, the, to me, the great guitar players that I grew up with, they, they close their eyes and they let the song guide them. In other words, you have lyrics there, you have melody there, you got an incredible rhythm section and arrangement. So you feed off it, you listen to the whole song. And when it gets to your turn to a lot, you know, that, that great privilege you have of, of, of laying out a solo you let all those things dictate and guide you. Yeah, all those technical tools are there in your, in your, in your, you know, in your utility belt and all the things you do and melodies and stuff. 
but you just hope they come together and you hope that they suit the song. And the reason I say that is because in Rise, when Banshee came out, I remember, you know, all these reaction videos after Rise, when Banshee came out and Robbie sending me some of the reactions for Banshee, there were people, some people flipping out about the soul, but some were like, yeah, it's not as jaw-dropping as Rise, almost like disappointed. To me, that game, it's the perfect solo for Banshee. Banshee is not a high-impact, high-energy song like Rise that's kind of like, you know, just as passionate. So you play for the song. And to me, that's the great, what great guitar players do. And that's what I learned from Edward as well. Edward is the same guy on Van Halen 1 where you get to eruption and you cannot believe what you're hearing. You cannot believe what you're hearing technically, creatively, passionately, emotionally, all of it. But then in the same album, you put on Ain't Talking About Love, and it sounds like another guitar player played on it, meaning technically. It's like, it's just two notes with an open string, and that's it. And it's a couple of licks at the end. And what that taught me is that music is not for you to go and show off. Of course, you have things you want to let loose on. But if you service the song properly, you will always do right. It'll always work out. And I think that's what I love about the guitar players like Bernie May and Jimmy Page and, and Edward Van Halen and Hendrix and all the guys that, you know, Neil Sean, uh, you know, Randy Rhodes, you know, all these guys, even even Yngwie. People say, Yngwie, oh, my God, he overplayed. He did not. Yngwie played to what the energy of those songs that he wrote were. And to me, those are the guys that will always mix their melody their technical ability. And when I record a solo, I black out, I close my eyes, and you just let loose. And, and yeah, sometimes those things at the end arise that might drop some jaws might happen, but they're not meticulously planned to show off and to impress you. Well, and the bottom line is it's always about the song. And I, I, and I appreciate that because I agree. You know, one of the things that I thought was amazing, and I, I said this to you guys when I saw you on the cruise because – that was the first time you played Rise was on the cruise, the first show of the two, before you hurt your knee, the initial show at the pool. And uh, yeah. I was afterwards, I don't know if I was telling you or, or Gary or Pat or whoever, I said, you know, I have never seen, like, look, I've been in this 40 years. I, every day I see people put out new music and I see a lot of it completely just go over and past fans' heads and they go to see a band and all they want to do is hear the old stuff. But with yep. you guys, it was totally different. And I never saw, especially a band with roots in the 80s, putting out new music and seeing the anticipation be for when you played Rise live, not only to see you do the solo live, but also because people just loved the song. Like the whole audience out there at that pool stage that day was singing that chorus. I mean, that had to feel amazing because the record wasn't even out yet. I know. It was bizarre from the second I started the riff. You know, I was like, gotta. I hit the first thing and I hear this roar. I'm like, whoa. I was like, okay. I, I just didn't expect it. You know, I just expected, like you said, you know, they, a lot of people love the older stuff and I know they're vibing on Rise, but I never seen so many phones come up during the solo and during the song. And I was looking out and I was hands up on this thing and the hook. And I'm like, this is, feels incredible. And, and you know what? It, it's, that showed me what you just described as well about the song and doing a solo within the song. You know, while that was happening, Eddie, it's like, you know, back in the day, back in the 1900s, you put out a song, right? Even your single. It could even be a, 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 more than words or anything else. But it takes like six months, eight months to figure out 
you tour, you check on ticket sales, you you see if magazines are are you know you know charts and radio, you see you know how your videos are doing and how airplay is doing and all that stuff, and then you realize if you got something on your hands or not. This day and age, man, it's incredible. The second they posted Rise on YouTube, and it was at whatever 10 a.m. that day, the whole world in two hours, eight hours, 24 hours, 48 hours, from Japan to Czechoslovakia to Brazil to the U.S., all let you know what's up instantly, like half a million views or whatever going on. And we're like, what is happening? So what was really interesting is when all that was going on and people were talking about the solo I had to kind of step back, and also my phone is blown up. You know, when your phone starts blowing up from people you haven't heard of in years, like I'm, I'm talking people you grew up with to, 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 to your family and things like that that are calling you, you know something else is going on. And But the but the thing that I took from it is when you got your heroes like Steve Lukather and Brian May, and, and trust me, I'm not dropping names for, for, for the sake of dropping names. I'm, I'm dropping names in the sense that it was bizarre. When they're hitting you up, and, you know, we all have this thing, right? Like you said, we all put out new music, or maybe not extreme. Most people put out new music. And you kind of have this thing that you do to your peers and your friends. You say, congratulations on your new album, blah, blah. You might like it. You might not like it. And that's that. But it's just something you do. But these texts that were getting were long. And, and Steve Lucas has said something really smart because I was like, what is happening? He said, look, you know, we all know you can play. You're not doing – I'm doing a lot of the same stuff on Rise Soul that I was doing on Peacemaker Die, even a lot of the same techniques and things like that. But Steve said to me something really smart. He goes, let's take extreme and you out of it. He goes, when is the last time in this century that either me or you called me or I called you or Varela hit you up or somebody to, about a guitar solo or about a band, a video or something like that or a new song, like passionately going, have you heard it? Have you heard it? Like we used to do endlessly back in the day because we were, we were spoiled with some of the greatest bands in the world, right? When fucking Hot for Teachers sure. come on, you call your friend, you go, what the fuck? Have you heard this? Have you yeah. heard this? And the car almost drove off the road. So to get that kind of thing, it made me take a step back and go like, yeah, the solo's decent. Yeah, the song is decent. But what I got out of it, being the Virgo that I am and trying to analyze why, what's the why on this? Why is the reaction? I noticed one thing different. One thing that, Eddie, when, how have we been getting fed a lot of these new, younger, great guitar players? It's kind of like sitting in chairs in front of Instagram, right? And a lot of mm -hmm. them are blowing our minds, but they're playing by themselves. All of a sudden, we go and do something. It didn't even have to be extreme, but it was, thankfully. But you go and do a video. You go and do an album like you did old school, like you always used to do, which is passionate, fire, all in, emotion. You know, a video where the band actually gives a shit about what they look like and, and, and what, what, what that in the guitar play, there's a solo within the song, there's an arrangement. But you know what it was that, that's been missing that people are starved for? It's not guitar playing. It's the mythology of rock and roll. The mythology was all there in the video. And I think that's what kind of bitch slapped everybody. You know, a, a lot of people made me realize that it's just, it's the whole package. It's like it's been a while. It's like to, to let people know it's okay to still do that. It's okay to like, you know, go all in and be passionate about an album. Don't, you know, because a lot of our peers punch in the clock, you know, a lot of them. And, and, and this is like, you know, we've always been hungry. You've known we've always been hungry on stage. We love our performances. But, you know, when we do an album, it's the same way. So I think maybe it was the mythology of seeing a band rocking out that way with the guitar player, with a solo, not in – not in a chair in front of a studio or a living room, 
but within a song, Rick Beato, who we respect so much, said it himself. He's like, when's the last time we saw this within a song at this caliber? We have great guitar players that he reviews and we watch, and I, I follow them. They're insane guitar players. For days, I'm like, oh, I can't even play the stuff they're playing. But in rock and roll from our genre, I think it's been a minute with that kind of fire. You know? The other thing, too, you know, that I don't, I don't think should get lost in all of this is the fact that, you know, and I want to talk a little bit more about some of the other stuff on this record, but the fact that, um, you know, so much is made of your lead guitar playing, which is extraordinary, no doubt. But I, I don't, I don't think there's a couple of things that shouldn't be overlooked. First of all, the rhythm guitar playing is, is so cool. The riffs and the rhythm playing is so cool. And you talk about Eddie Van Halen. I mean, you, you know, sometimes they just listen to old Van Halen records and just listen to what he's doing behind the verses and stuff. And it's so cool. And then when people really dig into this record, they're going to see like, if there's people out there that only know what's on the new extreme record from the four singles and videos that were pre-released, you're going to be pretty surprised by the other eight tracks because you guys take some really, really interesting turns on this record. And you've got stuff that's almost electronic based on here. You've got acoustic stuff on here. There's a lot of uh, diversity within the record. And I think that is also something that's real interesting. Like you didn't, you're not, you did not make a one trick pony with this record. You, you really put a lot of diversity among the 12 tracks. Look, you, you nailed it as far as the Edward stuff. You know, two things that you just pointed out. One is rhythm playing. The thing that really, that really killed me about Edward's playing is the other three songs outside the solo. He was one of those guys that brought in something. He changed the game in the rhythm playing. He made it joyful to play rhythm. Up until then, you played riffs. You played great stuff, whether it's Sabbath or whether it's, you know, Zeppelin and everything in between. But Edward was like, he brought something to the, to, the, to the table where, you know what? I'm fucked that. I'm going to have fun playing rhythm. And I'm going to do fills here and there where drum fills would be. He would do them with his brother. And they'd have turnarounds. And we'd be like, what, wait, what? You can do fills in a You can make rhythm playing creative and fun. And, and like, absolutely, Edward changed the game rhythm playing. Because the solo is, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds. But the song is another three minutes. And Edward was the king at making rhythm playing fun and making it just like fire and incredible. So that really influenced me. And, and that cannot go unnoticed as far as with Edward. I think he's one of the greatest rhythm players of all time in the swing. And what band ever swung like that? What, what band ever had this bebop thing other than Van Halen? Like it was like the 1920s or something, but they turned it into rock and roll and it was a party in the rhythm section, the whole thing. When people think about Edward, they cannot, they cannot, you know, all these guitar players, like I said earlier about me in the rhythm section, Every one of the bands, Zeppelin, Queen, the great guitar players that were in them, all had great rhythm sections. And you pull John Bonham out, you pull a Roger Taylor out, you pull John Paul Jones out, you, you get those guys out of those bands, it's a different band. So the guitar player owes a lot to what is behind them when they play as well. And, and I realized that when, remember when a lot of the isolated tracks were, uh, were leaked out? And I would hear solos. I would hear like the Beat It solo. I would hear solos of Edward. Of course, we know them and they're great but they almost become more humanized without the music behind them. And that's when I go, uh-oh, there's, it's the whole package. And as far as the Extreme album goes, like you said, it's always been an Extreme album that way. There's always been left and right turns with When I First Kissed You or even More Than Words at the time or Wholehearted or, you know, uh, Seven Sundays and things like that. But I think this album is, is the biggest compliment I, have, I got, you know, when I, I did a little listening party 
uh, out here in, in the studio here with Morello and Vi and some different people. And they're all like, yeah, yeah, we know you can play guitar. That's great. But the biggest comment and compliment that I got was, wow, we didn't even stop the album. It was 52 minutes. We listened from the top to bottom. And it felt like in an old school way, like it was a journey. And those left and right turns really kept you interested in the album instead of it being one dimensional. And that was the best compliment I could ever hear, you know, all guitar playing, all that stuff, because that's the idea. We curate the album. That's the hardest part. That's, we take a lot of time with that to give, to care enough about what is the fourth song, third song? How do we keep them interesting? How do we, how do we, how do we break it down here, but then come back? How, where do we put some of the electronics here and stuff? So we really spend time and we care about that, you know? Yeah. I mean, no doubt if people have not heard the record yet, if you hear a song like the mask, I mean, the the riff in the mask almost kind of reminds me a little bit of like like something like I don't know, almost a Marilyn Manson thing, like the Beautiful People or something. There's a vibe to that, yeah, it, it, and then it's like it's like a it's like a light Marilyn Manson with a, like a Queen of the Stone Age vibe, <laughs> right? And then okay. thicker than blood, you know, you've got like a an electronic vibe, almost a borderline industrial thing running through there. X out is to me. X out sounds like something that could have almost. There's elements of it that remind me of any of something from maybe Waiting for the Punchline, which is a record I love a lot. So to me, it's all extreme. And if you really do know the extreme catalog, there, there there's always diversity in there. And you guys really, um, you know, went for some different things on some of these other tracks, but it all works. You know, you know, it's one of those things when people always ask us. We, we were, we were probably the most detrimental to our own career. Why? Because it would have been easier for us to repeat ourselves. It would have been, especially if you have a successful album like Porn Graffiti, for instance, we could have easily gone, okay, let's keep the horns going, which we did a little bit, but let's, where's the other more than words? Where's the other wholehearted? And for us, we don't sound a lot like Queen. We have our influences, but our philosophy was taken from bands like Queen and Led Zeppelin, meaning what? Meaning you go from Zep 2 to Zep 3 and you're like, whoa. You go from Zep 3 to 4. You go from any Queen album. And, and they basically, the, the, the philosophy was we do whatever the fuck we want at the time. We don't sit there and calculate. We don't worry about the last album and we're not thinking about the next album. It's the best songs win at the time and it's whatever we have. And it's fans, fans used to get disappointed until they realized, oh my God, this is the exciting part of Extreme. Instead of it being like, ah, oh, you know, I had somebody, I saw a comment the other day was like, oh, I wish they'd just, you know, the album's okay. I wish they'd go back to the porn of graffiti stuff. I'm like, you go back there and listen to that. It's there for a reason. It's already there. Why would you want us to repeat that? The idea is for a band to grow and for the fans to grow with them, where real extreme fans expect the unexpected. And I think the most exciting thing for them is that it isn't predictable, that there is a song you're listening to X out, but then it goes into Beautiful Girls, which is a reggae beach song that they're like what but queen have done that and and we're not doing it because of queen and stuff it's just the philosophy is like look the best songs win and if they're in our wheelhouse that is what you get and i'd rather put my head on the pillow at night knowing that we did the album that we loved as opposed to trying to do something we didn't love to give everybody what we think or what they think extreme is and even if it's successful there's nothing worse than having a successful album but almost being embarrassed about it or not really feeling at one with it. You know, like I said, it's not for everybody. If our album fails, it's still a success to me more than people will ever know. I don't count success with, with how much sales you have or all these exciting things that are happening now. These are just bonuses. This is a frosting. 
it, it, it's, it's, we do this for ourselves and then we hope the fans enjoy it. And that's it. You know? Nuno, you, I got to tell you something about beautiful girls. So I'm, you know, I'm Mr. Hard Rock, uh, guitar nerd guy. Um, yeah. That I got to tell you something, bro. That song is the hookiest song on the record. <laughs> and that, after I heard the record one time, that friggin' song stuck in my head and that melody stuck in my head forever. And I'm not kidding you, man. That could be a sleeper more than words part two on this record. <laughs> that song to me I is a smash. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And that's why I made it on the album as, as quirky as it is. And it's even something we haven't done this kind of reggae type beach. To me, it's, it's an anthem. It's, an, it's a summertime anthem. And you know what? What's special about it? It's celebrating women. It's not, it's not, it's, we're talking about all shapes and sizes, and it's celebrating moms and daughters and sisters and, and all different colors and, and skin tones and everything else, which I think is really needed right now as well. I'm sorry, but I think women in this country need an anthem to celebrate women and to show how much we appreciate them and what they do and, and the power that they have in, in, in having babies and delivering babies and all that stuff. So that song really touches, touches a point with us. But you're right. It's you, if you hear the first chorus, you already know what – you're already singing it by the second time. It's in. And I love Gary's performance on it. I think he's killing it vocally. But it's a really quirky song. But I think it could be a, a summer smash for us. Yeah. Beyond belief. I mean, it's got an unbelievable hook. The, the the melody just sticks in your head and you touch on Gary's vocals. And, you know, that's the other thing, too, that um, I, I don't think can be overlooked here. Obviously, so much of the attention, as you know, goes to you and your playing and all of that. And that's all very deserved. But the other three guys in your band and every time I see you live and what you guys all do together as a unit is mind blowing, especially vocally. And when you listen to this record, I mean, you and you're doing a, I don't know if I'm, I'm wrong on this, but to me, it sounds like you're doing a, maybe a little more singing than you've ever done on extreme records. I know you've always done a lot, but this, there's yeah, some, no, this, there, you've got a right, lot of stuff right. going on here with Gary. Yeah. yeah. Me and Gary, you know, it's funny. It just ended up that way because those songs, we did it, but this is definitely the most like, you know, mask I'm singing. People are asking who's on the verses of mask. It's like, I'm trying to I'm trying to to bring back uh, my my best Jim Morrison impression that I could <laughs> I could do, but but me and Gary are singing together, a small beautiful going back and for, back and forth like we did with watching you waiting in the day on the first album, and but look look like I said earlier, a band is a band is a band. You're as good as your rhythm section. You start with your drummer. I believe wholeheartedly that two of the most important people. You know, the, one of the most the, starting with I know guitar is important and singing. We all talk about the one two punts, the Jagger Richards and Tyler Perry's of the world and Paige Plants and all that stuff and Rob Halen. But it really the band is as good as its drummer. A band is as good as its drummer. Trust me when I tell you that. And and of course, we had Paul back in the day, which is a great drummer. But Kevin Figueredo is is like on steroids. He he his pocket, his feel pushes us off that stage the way he plays. He took old songs and, 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 and just, you know, injected them with like fuel. And on this album, it needs to be noticed. Like I said, maybe I take too much attention away and, and Gary as well, but it needs to be noted that Kevin is killing on this album. So is Pat. And, 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 and that rhythm section is so important to us, as you said, live. But having said all that, there is no doubt. And I told you this, remember back at the rainbow before, 
singles came out. What did I say to you? I said, this is Gary's album. And I stick to that. There's good guitar playing on here. But to me, Gary elevated himself to a different point. And it's not in the Olympiad sort of way where, unfortunately, too many times with the voice and, and metal and things, we always equate great vocals by range and how high they sing and, and what they do. What's incredible about this album with Gary is that is his range, but in the low end as well. He's stretching himself from low, way up high, different characters, the emotion. I mean, as a producer, he probably hates me now because I really pushed him emotionally on this, but I really wanted to get the emotion of every lyric, of everything, because Gary's the type, we're at the point now when we do an album, Gary goes up, he does a take, and it's like, yeah, great, dude, that was perfect. We could just leave it just like that, but let's let's go for the emotion here. Let, 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 let's find what we wrote about, what the songs are about, and really dive in emotionally, and I think that's the thing in guitar playing-wise and singing that I think people forget they can do because people think guitar playing is just technical and how fast you go. Even when I played my fast stuff, it's got a pump to it. It's got an emotionality to it. And I think that's the one thing that guitar players have to keep, keep reminding themselves is like, it's not just an Olympics to play licks and scales, get your emotion in there. If you're not feeling something, you're not touching somebody, it's not worth it. And I feel that way with guitar playing, but I feel that way with drumming and all of it. And Gary on this album to me, song by song by song, different characters, he keeps surprising you. He keeps changing. And uh, the bridge alone on uh, Other Side of the Rainbow is probably the greatest thing I've ever heard Gary sing, period. Period. He, he, he's, yeah. he's got... He's re he's reincarnating. <laughs> you know, uh, he's bringing back Freddie in that like nobody has. So, yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, it's amazing. And that's what I mean. I mean, I mean Pat, Gary, uh, Fig, they all... Everybody's just on top of their game here. And it's... Um, and if and people have seen the band live, I mean, what you do with the harmonies, and I'm I'm such an anti-tracks guy. I love the fact that you guys sing live and keep it real. It's it's just incredible. It's and it's and it's all coming through on this record too, because you hear all that vocal stuff going on, and you know you know how you guys can execute it. It's 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 amazing. Um, I don't want to keep you too long, man. I'll, just a, a couple more quick things. I appreciate the time. Yeah, no um, the record is dedicated to. I had a chance to look at the liner notes. I don't have it physically, but I had the liner notes sent to me because I always like to pick stuff out on liner notes on physical copies. And um, you wrote a beautiful dedication to Edward Van Halen in the record. And there's been a lot made about the fact, and I've seen the story read where um, Gary brought Eddie to your house and, and you didn't know it was him and you didn't want to come down. And then you saw him and all of that. And it's an amazing story and all of that. But my, and I know you said in the press that Eddie did not hear Rise before he passed away. But I'm curious, what was your relationship like with him personally? Were you guys tight? Did you know each other well? Or was it just a, a passing thing when you ran into each other? Of course, Gary was in Van Halen. We know that. But you personally, how much dialogue did you have with him? How close were you guys? We weren't very close. I, I, think, I think we weren't very close for many reasons. You know, it, it's interesting. I think when he was... It's like, it's like we knew each other through our playing, if that makes sense. That's how we were close. And the reason I say that is because when we did see each other and the time that we did spend together, it felt like we knew each other. It felt like it was old friends. Even the first time I ever met him, Dweezil surprised me, took me to a rehearsal at center staging and while I was producing that Dweezil album, uh, Confessions. And Edward just came up to me you know, stopped playing and just came up to me. And sometimes you know how it is, Eddie, like you could meet your heroes and it could be the worst experience of your life. It's just crushing. I have so many stories of different people that I've known 
and Eddie Edward could have been horrible towards me, or he could have been like, you know, I don't know, just just bad. You know, it could have been a bad situation. But he comes over, gives me the biggest hug, uh, dare I say, a kiss on the lips, which I haven't washed my lips since. Um, <laughs> and and he and he's like, come over and play my rig, like so warm, so welcoming, and that's it. That was like how we were. You know, the, we probably seen each other spend seven, eight different times through our lifetime together, on tour somewhere, running into each other. And, and that day that he came in front of my house, I was actually, it took me a minute. It wasn't until I did my first guitar interview when I was telling that story. The coincidence was is the reason I didn't want to come down is because I was recording the Ryan solo. And mm. I, I was like, oh, man, I, I think I've latched on to something here. And I was like really in the zone. And the band knows don't ever bother me. No one is recording these guitars. I like to, I, I don't, I, I produced the album. I engineered the album, but I never even have an assistant. I don't have an assistant because I don't want anybody to go, you want a cup of coffee? And then it takes me out. So I like to get lost in what I'm doing. And Gary knows never bother me. You know, he'll fucking throw his guitar at you when you walk in and get out and all that. But then he kept blowing me up. And of course, to come down the stairs, I was like, thought something was wrong. And what a, that was a good reason to interrupt the ride solo. And Edward was there. And it just reminded me, it took me, what was different is it took me back to the first day that I just described. He had that same warmth again. Because once you get to know somebody a little bit, it's different. But he really, it was like meeting Edward again. I almost felt something was, I don't know, off with him, but he was at peace. I don't know how to describe that, but he was really warm, big hug. He was playing songs from Wolfie through the, through the car window. He was showing Gary some stuff, but then he was playing, I could hear it through the window. You know, my only regret is, is like, Hey, so he said, so what are you up to? I heard you doing an album. He goes, yeah, I'm up there recording. He goes, yeah, I got to come up in here. And I'm like, yeah, I wanted to wait till it was done. You know, typical. I wanted to wait. It's Eddie Van Halen. You don't go and play half finished stuff without solos and things. And, of course, I regret it a bit because, for obvious reasons, he never got to come back. He said he would come back and listen, and he passed away. But, you know, I, I, I feel like him showing up that day, I don't know, man. I, I, I think life, I felt like it was like a weird message. I don't know. It was almost, you know, somebody, when, when you were talking about when the, when the Rise Solar came out, and I was doing all these interviews, and I kept saying, hey, man, you're the heir. You're the heir to the, they're saying, you're the heir to Van Halen's throne. And I said, hell no, no one will be the heir to Van Halen's throne. Nobody can take that throne. Not me, not anybody else is going to take that because it's so powerful. It, his throne is sitting there like Game of Thrones with guitar instead of swords and, and his music and what he did, and I would not be playing the way I am. So I had to say something on the album because I felt like once he passed, I felt like, well, I'm not gonna, nobody's going to take the, take the throne, but I felt this little bit of responsibility almost like, man, I want to keep this torch going though. I want to keep, you know, and all I can hope is that he's looking down, you know, smiling down like he's always had that big smile and say, hey, you know what, kid, you've done good. You know, keep going, keep it happening, keep it alive. And uh, that's all. That's all I would ever ask. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, I have to say something on the album with how much he affected my life as a person. When, when a guitar player is that iconic, they don't just affect your playing. They affect your DNA. They raise you. You're a child. You're a child listening to this. They're they're, they're, they're raising you in music and guitar. They're the soundtrack to your life. And, and, and you feel like you know them. They speak to you through their music. I'm sure that's what fans feel like. I'm a fan. And, uh, and the blessing to actually get to be around a hero like that and an influence like that, it, 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 I, I'm the luckiest man on the fucking planet, bro. I, I'm almost in tears telling you this because meeting him that day, for him coming by that day, it was just what a, what a, a gift, you know, incredible. Yeah. 
No, man, I can hear the emotion in your voice and I get it. I mean, that would be a heavy, heavy moment. And then looking back on what happened and, and losing him and stuff, I mean, it, it, it really is pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, and one other guitar player that I, I can't go without bringing up, which I also know is very near and dear to your heart and thankfully is still with us, and I believe you do have a very close relationship with, is Brian May. And when I listen to the new album, you know, when I listen to Six, sure, there's the obvious Edward Van Halen influence, which has been throughout your career. But man, I hear a ton of Brian May in your approach to some of these solos, which is beautiful. And even right down to the tone. I mean, to me, Brian May has the most identifiable guitar tone I've ever heard. And you really channel some of that. There's a couple songs on this record where you're going full Brian May and it's awesome. Dude, I, I think there's a couple of solos that I finished. Like, you know, like I told you, I black out, like Other Side of the Rainbow, for instance. And I'm like playing the solo. And at the end of it, I play it back and I'm like, I think Brian May's on the phone. He wants his tone, his amp, his guitar, everything <laughs> back. It's like, it's like, wow, sometimes it's incredible what the mind does with a certain type of song. And, and that's the thing about Edward and, and Brian being like two of my pivotal, you know, uh, people is because one had this real pizzazz in Edward and his fire and, and, and he burned, he shredded these solos. And Brian was this melodic you know, just he put a lot of emotion into one note. You're right. You hear one, you hear Brian May bend one note and you're like, that's Brian. Like who the hell bends one note and holds it in the can? And you're like, that is Brian. And so much like Neil Sean and people that bend notes beautifully, Brian just did this thing where he made you have the courage to play, to hold things. He made you have, but he taught me when not to play as well. Just like Edward did. It's like, Brian was like, you play for the song and it's a solo within the song. And he really influenced me that way. But there was also a very conversational thing about the way Brian May played. Whenever he did a solo or he did a part, it was like somebody was talking to you. It was another voice. Like, it's like, he's like literally like a voice, you know, talking to you, the phrasing. And definitely other side of the rainbow is the epitome of probably the most Brian May that's ever come out of me in one solo. I actually sent it to him right away. And I'm like, I'm sorry for this. I hope you like it. <laughs> I sent it to him. I'm like, I apologize, but and he's like, it sounds nothing like me. You know, he's so kind. And he's like, well, I, I, you're right. It doesn't sound like you because you're Brian May and nobody sounds like Brian May, but I have to tell you, you're, you know, we used to have the saying, you know, the solo used to be a burn solo. And then Brian, my portion of it is if I can take Edward and Brian and make it a Mern solo, melody and burn, is that possible? <laughs> so that was that was my thing. How do you, how do you make a melodic shred solo? And that that's really what they both did for me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And you know, I think when I think of solos within the song, I mean, I grew up a huge Kiss fan, and I know you guys covered Strutter on the Kiss tribute back in the day. But you know, to me, uh, Ace Frehley's a guy that doesn't get you know, maybe technically not this, you know, shredding great guy, but a guy who influenced so many people. And when I think of Ace on those early Kiss records, that's exactly what his thing was too. His solos were songs within the song and that you, you hummed all his solos. They were like these moments. So, you know, you don't have to be like this super flash, you know, whammy bar guy to still structure stuff that is just songs within the songs. And to me, those are the best solos. The best solos ever. And it, you're right. Guys like Ace who play for the song, guys like him, guys like uh, uh, guys like Elliot Easton for the cars. 
Yes. I always tell, you know, they play these memorable solos that you can sing. And what's really interesting about those solos, and same thing with Ace and a lot of these guys that do play for the song, most of them, you take guys like myself, Steve Vai, the te- guys that can do technical stuff, do both stuff, you know, uh, any any of these guys that are that are shredders, Satriani, all of us. But you tell them in like, go listen to Just What I Needed by the Cars. And, but if you told all of us, okay, guys, yeah, we want you to play this, but you got like 10 seconds to tell a story. Not the usual extreme solo link, not the Van Halen link, not the Hot Petitia, not Cashmere, not stuff. These guys, Ace, they were telling stories and voices and adding to the song within like four bars, eight bars. And you could, and it was, it's so much harder. Any guitar player would tell you shredding, going crazy, you know, impressing people technically easy knowing when not to play having the courage to not impress anybody and play for the song is what makes a guitar player to me yes you can have fun if it's play with me i go nuts and then to the energy of the song let me let me make it a party rise same thing but there's songs on this album like you mentioned like hurricane or even you know uh here's to the losers or small town beautiful that the song is small town beautiful the song is, is is almost like a country song for us like you don't it's not the time to impress everybody technically it's time to get lost in that song and guys like ace guys like elliot easton and prince even on purple rain solos like that that are iconic hotel california probably i think is the greatest solo of all time if you ask me you know what's the greatest solo of all time my top two are hotel california and and stairway to heaven outro solo why it's not because it was super technically impressive it's the conversation and you can sing every note you can sing along yeah, it with says, it every note. It's that memorable. And that's the solos that are the best. Of the ones. Yeah, they say something. And, and, and can't, you know, bringing up Elliot Easton is a great call because that's a super overlooked guy when we talk about some of this kind of stuff. But the song Candy O, which I think the whole song's two minutes or two and a half minutes long, his yeah. guitar break in that is like 15 seconds, but it's one of my favorite Dude. solos. It's, it's so killer. It's the most iconic solo. It's the most iconic solos ever. I remember we were in San Francisco. I got asked to do for Guitar Player Magazine. I got asked to do a, a they did a worldwide guitar competition, a regional first, and then it ended up the finals were in San Francisco. It was The judges were me, Joe Satriani, Elliot Easton, Steve Lukather, um, I'm forgetting one more person. Da, 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 da. Uh, I'm forgetting one. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll remember. But the point was this. The point was all these guitar players that could shred, most like could really technically play like fast and all this stuff. And then we had Elliot Easton sitting there. We were in a dressing room, literally a locker room or something in this building. And let me tell you something. This is how special Elliot Easton is to all the guitar players. He never gets mentioned, but you put all of us in a locker room. And I said out loud to everybody, and I said, Elliot, man, I just want to tell you that your playing and the solos, because I think he felt like a little bit of a fish out of water amongst the 80s shredders and 90s shredders, you know? And I said to him, the solos that you've done are so iconic and so singable and so perfect for the song. And he's like almost turning red, you know, he's blushing. I'm like, I'm serious. And I made a challenge and he goes, no, no way. I go, I bet you right now in this room that every guitar player in here Acapella could sing every one of your solos in a song. And we went through them all. We literally went through them all. We literally sang almost all his solos. That's how much, without even listening to the song, that's how much they stuck in our heads and are imprinted in our DNA. And that's Elliot Easton. And he never yeah. gets talked about. 
Yeah, no, that's a great call for sure. Hey, uh, I promise you the last thing. And by the way, the Extreme Tour is uh, kicking off. Again, you can find all the dates at extreme-band.com. The album six is out now. The tour starts August 2nd, Portland, Maine. Go to the website, wherever you are in the country listening. See if there's a date coming your way. Living Color in support. Those guys throw down. That is an awesome bill. That's going to be phenomenal. Vernon Reed uh, ripping it up. Uh, and Corey Glover still sings his ass off. Incredible rhythm section. So what a great uh, bill that's going to be. But I got to ask you, dude, um, last thing. Reading that Guitar World piece, one of the things that I thought was really cool among the 30-some-odd pages on you in there was they talked about stuff you've done outside of Extreme. And for people that don't, haven't followed that closely, there's quite a bit. And I was a huge fan of Morning Widows. You had Population One. I love the Schizophonic record. They touched on some of that stuff. Is there anything from that part of your playing or your history that you hope to one day revisit and do again? Yeah, man. My jaw dropped when I got to those pages. They didn't tell me. I opened that and I see, here's all the songs from the past that you don't know. And I was like, on, on those Morning Widows albums, I was looking at like, oh my God. Like, it, was, it was like, a, this is your life. <laughs> this is your life, you know, like flashing before you. And I, I'm proud of that stuff. I really am. You know, I put a lot of work into the Population One stuff. And one of my favorite songs is Spaceman. And... The, the the song the one of my favorite lyrics and a lot of that stuff that people don't know I was singing on all that stuff and it were you know true solo albums and true like bands that I had put together drama gods and all that but listen I would love I miss a lot of that stuff you know I I was I was almost uh, with right before the extreme album I, I had a bunch of material that I was trying to put together and I was calling it the schizo too and uh, you know stuff that I've sung and stuff that I've done that I do want to put out a a second kind of schizophonic album. Uh, you know, so th I think that that'll definitely be coming. That'll be fun. I love that record, man. For people that in 1997, it came out and, and Nuno's uh, solo record, Schizophonic, where, like you said, you sing on everything, but there are some killer songs on that record and I love it. So that would be really cool to hear, uh, you know, kind of a part two to that. And uh, hopefully at some point, it won't be 15 years before you get a chance to do it. <laughs> it won't be. It won't be. I think, you know what? The, the good news is, is believe it or not, we already have the name. At least we have the name for the next Extreme album. <laughs> Which is what? I can't tell you. <laughs> you seriously have it, though? I, you, know why, you know why I can't tell you? It's because it probably will change. And I, I'll, yeah, I'll, that's I'll true, like too. Cool. Well, listen, man, I'll let you go. I'll, I'll talk to you later. You'll, you'll have enough of me by the end of the day, but I'll talk to you later when we do the YouTube thing. But um, congratulations on the record. All the early success is amazing. And uh, get well, man. Take care of that knee. You got a heavy schedule coming up. I hope you feel better. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. And, and people have been asking lately, who is the gorilla and why is the gorilla? But we, we never told anybody the name, but the, the gorilla's name is Pakanuga. Pakanuga. What is it? That's the name of the Pakanuga, P-A-K-E-G-A-N-U. Yeah, I'm sorry, N-U-G-A. Pakanuga. That's the name of the gorilla. What's the history and of the gorilla? Anybody, well, I'm going to leave it with you. I, I say you do a contest and you say if anybody can work out what the reference is to Pakanuga and how the guys name their gorilla and their mascot, then you know what? They'll get free tickets or something or they'll be able to come to the show as my guest. See if anybody can work that out. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see. I'm sure somebody in the audience will know, so we'll find out. Um, listen, man, I'll talk to you later. Thank you again for the time. And again, congrats on everything.
Thank you, Eddie. It's always a great interview with man. Thank you, man. I enjoy, enjoy talking to you a lot. Thanks for keeping rock and roll alive as usual. I'll talk to you soon. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Well, big thanks to Nuno. It was great catching up with him and talking about the new album and a bunch of other stuff in there as well. Extreme 6 is out and available now. Thank you for listening to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Next Thursday, join me for another all-new episode. And please join me if you have Sirius XM Radio each and every day, Monday through Friday, for Rock Talk interviews and more on Channel 103, Faction Talk, the Daily Trunk Nation show. And if you can't listen in the live window, there's a nightly re-air at midnight Eastern, or you can listen to full shows anytime you want at your leisure on the Sirius XM app. Be sure to follow on social media at Eddie Trunk. Catch you hopefully on the radio every day on 103 or back here next Thursday for another podcast. Take care. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.